leading us in worship this morning. And we'd invite any uh, children here, kindergarten or first grade, who would like to be dismissed to Children's Church. You can find that uh, in the rear foyer. Children's Church teacher will be there to meet you and uh, lead you to Children's Church. For the rest of you, open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. This morning we're studying Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 to 14. That's on page 175, if you're using a pew Bible. Page 175. Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 to 14, page 175. Let me read that passage. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I am about to teach you, Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See... I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you're entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when He said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they will learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. And then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you His covenant, the Ten Commandments which He commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So here's a, a trivia question for you this morning. What makes a church a church? Uh, what, what is it that, that makes a group of people, from God's perspective, from a theological perspective, really a church? And, and when is a church not a church? Is it just any uh, group of people that meet on a Sunday morning under a steeple? Is that, is that what makes a church a church? This was a, uh, a really important question that was being asked in the uh, 16th and 17th centuries in Europe during the time of the Renaissance and the Reformation. And there were some very different answers being given. Uh, The Catholic Church at that time said that a church is a group of people that submit to 
the head of the church, who they claimed was the, the, the Pope in Rome. And so uh, Jesus had said to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And, and the Catholic Church took that as uh, interpreted as establishing a, a papacy in Rome that would then be passed down, down through the ages so that to be a true church meant to be under the authority to the Pope in Rome. And the Protestants at that time said, no, that's not how to interpret that passage. It's not establishing a papacy. Instead, as you look at sort of Protestant writers, really across the board, and, and they were asked the question, what is it that makes a church a church? They had these two answers. They, they always said this every time. They'd always say, it's, it's a place where, number one, the Word of God is rightly taught. And number two, the, the sacraments and church order and church discipline is rightly practiced. And by church discipline, they didn't simply mean the practice of excommunicating someone who was in unrepentant sin. They, they meant sort of the whole life of the church together. In other words, all of our life together being ordered according to the Scriptures, including things like baptism and communion, but even more than that, just how we live together as a community. Or to put it even more simply, what makes a church a church is when the people listen to God's Word and do what it says. That God's people are fundamentally defined not by an institutional structure per se, but by gathering together as a body and hearing His Word and then being His Word uh, and doing what it says corporately and in the, the quality of their relationships together. As we come to Deuteronomy chapter 4 this morning, we find Moses commanding the Israelites to be the people of God, to hear the Word and then do the Word, to live it, to practice it, and follow it. And so here in Deuteronomy chapter 4, we have kind of a transitional chapter. If you've been in the Deuteronomy sermon series over the last couple of months as we've started this, you know chapters 1 through 3 are more of a historical review of the events and circumstances that have led up to the book of Deuteronomy. And when we get to chapter 5 in a couple Sundays, that's going to sort of launch us into the actual commands that God has for the Israelites themselves. So chapter 4 is like kind of the hinge that takes us from the history to the commands. This is what God's done in the past, and therefore now it's time to listen to Him and do this as His people in the future. And, and in this transitional hinge, Moses kind of lands with both feet on this idea that we need to hear and do God's Word if we're going to be His people. So if you look at verse 1, he says, Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. God's taught me. I'm here to tell you this is what God wants us to do as His people. And when He says hear or listen, Israel, uh, you know that biblical concept of hearing is more than just taking information in through our ears and audibly receiving it. You know, to listen in a biblical sense is to listen and obey. When God says hear or listen, He means and do it. You know, when God says listen, He means it the way a parent or a teacher says listen. You know, when a parent says to their kids, listen. You know, what they mean is, listen and then do what I tell you. It's over. You tell a kid something and the kid doesn't do it. You say, were you listening to me? Yes. No, you weren't. Because you didn't do it. It's a, that, you know, it's a parental way of understanding listening. And so God understands it too. To hear the Word of God is, as it says in the very next sentence of verse 1, follow them. So you hear it and we do it. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land. So if you're going to be my people, which under the Old Covenant was really identified as the people living in the land under God's blessing, if you're going to live in the land and be my people, 
then you really have to listen and do what I say. That's, that's what it means to be the people of God. And then he sort of drives the point home further in verse 2. He says, do not add to what I command you. Do not subtract from it. Don't do math with the Bible. Don't add. Don't subtract. Just do it. <laughs> let's hear it. Let's read it. And let's put it into practice. Don't add to God's Word. You know, it's always temptation to, to kind of uh, embellish religion and with our own practices. You know, we talked about the, uh, the time of the Reformation. That was a big sticking point in the Reformation. Is, is that the Protestant Reformers were saying, look, there's all this stuff that's being practiced, that's being commanded in the church that just is not in the Bible. The veneration of Mary, papal infallibility, papal authority, um, the selling of indulgences, transubstantiation, you know, all this stuff that was like the center of the church's life that's just not in the Bible. And the Protestants were saying, we can't find it here. You know, don't add stuff to it. Let's stick to what God has told us to do. But, you know, that's not just a Catholic issue. That's a Protestant issue. That's a human issue. It's a Baptist issue. We, we always want to add things in that, that are important to us. You, you know, we've all grown up in, in certain ways, and we have certain traditions, and we had certain experiences of perhaps church growing up as a kid, and, and we, we tend to take some of those experiences and some of that nostalgia and kind of baptize it as something that's essential to being the church. Uh, it's always tempting to add in extra rules and extra practices and, and things that we say, this is as important as God's Word. And so there's always that temptation that we have to fight against embellishing God's Word. Don't add to it. And don't go the other way either. Don't subtract from it. Don't say, you know, th- this whole section here, I, I don't really understand it. It doesn't really fit. I don't think it makes sense. This would really ruin my lifestyle if I started doing that. And so, you know, this part of the Bible I won't follow, but this part I will follow. You know, you can't be a cafeteria Christian. You can't pick and choose what you want. It's, to be a Christian is to be a person who hears the Word of God and does it, not adding, not subtracting, but just keeping His Word. And so God's people are defined by His Word, and, and we're defined by His Word. You know, the, what makes us a church at its core is that we gather together and we live together according to what he says in his word. And so as we gather here on Sunday mornings, you know, what this is fundamentally about is all of us together receiving God's word and then hopefully practicing it. You have to do it too. It's not just a matter of hearing it. So when we gather, we, we sing the word, we pray the word, we read the word, we hear the word preached. People give testimony to God's word in their life. Uh, we enact the Word through baptism and communion. We, we sort of dramatize it. Um, and, and so God's Word is, is the content of what we do. Uh, God's Word defines what we do together as a church. You know, one of, one of the principles um, of, of sort of Reformed thought is something called the regulative principle of worship. All that means is that God's Word regulates what we do together. So, so what do we do when we worship God together? Well, let's do what God has either commanded us to do in the New Testament or, or exemplified for us to do in the New Testament. So, so you know, uh, Sunday morning here we don't do theater. Why? Because theater's bad? Of course not. Look, I, I was a thespian in high school. I mean, I don't know if you could tell that, but I'm, I'm a thespian. Um, I, I love acting, love drama. It's great, and God can work through it. But this is that's not what we're doing here. We're here to push that aside and to hear God's Word. We, we don't watch video clips on Sunday morning. We don't watch movies. I'm a movie buff. You guys know that. I've probably seen far too many movies in my life for the good of my own soul. But 
This is not a theater for watching movies. This is the time to hear the word and to do the word. This is not a time for a concert. It's not a time for an art exhibit. Those things are wonderful. We need to use the arts to display God's glory. We need to use all of life to display God's glory. But when we gather as his body, we sort of push out the world and we say, we're here to hear the word of God and to do the word of God. Because that's what marks us as his people. Um, it's not just Sunday morning, though. I mean, we get together as Christians outside of church. Some of you are in small group Bible studies. Some of you are in Sunday school classes. Some of you aren't even in any program. It's just you and a friend or you and two friends, and you get together once a week or every other week or whatever, and, and you just open your Bibles and, and you talk about what it says, and, and then you talk to each other about each other's lives, right? Because it's not just reading the Word. It's not just being a bunch of people who have a lot of Bible knowledge. It's living it. That's the challenge. And so one of the great things about gathering with Christians outside of a Sunday morning gathering is that you can say, you know, how are you doing with that? Okay, that's what we read in the Bible. How's that working out in your marriage? How are you doing that in your job? How are you doing that in that relationship with that person you're dating or whatever it is? And so that we, we lovingly kind of keep cheering each other on to live out what we're experiencing uh, through God's Word. So, so God's Word is the content and, and it's the shape of the Christian community together. And it's not just what we do with each other. It's also privately. As Christians, as Christians, we have to read the Word on a regular basis and do what it says. Christians, you know, 101 of Christian practice is to study God's Word. This is what Christians do because we want to know what our Lord has to say. Um, you know, I asked earlier, when is, what makes a church a church? You could ask a similar question at an individual level. What makes a Christian a Christian? Or maybe to put that question more accurately, what are the identifying marks of a real Christian? How do you know if someone really is a Christian? What are some of the telltale signs and symptoms of Christianity? When, when, when Jesus has infected you, how do you know? What are the symptoms? And one of the symptoms is Christians are interested in the Bible. You know, they, they want to learn more. They're curious. They, they have a hunger to learn more. The more they read, the more they want to know. And so Christians are people of the Word. So, so if you're wondering, you know, are you a Christian? I mean, I don't know. I don't have insight into your soul. But that's a self-diagnosis. If I haven't been reading the Bible for days, weeks, months, years on my own, and, and I never crack the Bible, and I really don't care, and I don't have an interest to do it, well, you might not be a Christian, you know, regardless of how long you've been in a church. Because God's people are hungry to hear His voice. And, and even if, if it's just starting out in the Christian faith, it's just baby steps of, of learning to appreciate what His Word has to say as we grow in it step by step. So, God's people are those who hear His Word and do His Word. And then what you have in the rest of Deuteronomy 4 in this section of verses 3 through 14 is that Moses goes on to give some reasons why we should listen to God's Word and do what it says. You know, you know why would I do that? What, what are the motivations for that? And so he's going to list three reasons for us to hear and to do God's Word. And those are in verses 3 to 14. And the first one is this. The first one is there in verses 3 to 4. Reason number one that we should hear and obey God's Word that Moses gives. Because number one... It's a matter of life and death. It's not just, you know, kind of an interesting side field of study. If you really want to get into the Bible, no, no. This is a matter of life and death because God is life. 
And so to accept God's word is to accept God, which is to accept life. To reject God's word is to reject God, which is to reject life. So this is a life and death matter that God puts before us. And so Moses tells this little story in verse 3. He says, You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. So there was some situation in Israel's past where they had a kind of decision point. Would they do what God says or would they not do what God says? Some of them did, some of them didn't. Some of them lived and some of them died as a result. It was one of these stories where God's judgment kind of broke out against the Israelites. Let me just show it to you. It's a really short story. Put a, a marker here in Deuteronomy. Go back one book of the Bible to the book of Numbers. It's the book right before Deuteronomy, chapter 25. And here's that story. It's a pretty, uh, pretty dramatic tale. Numbers 25, verse 1. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor. So Israel was in this place in Shittim and in Peor, and they were, uh, the people there worshiped Baal. In fact, the people all over the land of Canaan worshiped Baal. Baal was the chief deity. Uh, Baal was a fertility god. He was a storm god. He was the one who brought fertility upon the land and upon the animals and upon families. That's what they, they believed. And, and as part of, of the worship of Baal, there was a lot of just, uh, I mean, I don't know the way to put it, except orgies. There was just sexual immorality. Because, because of the whole fertility theme, sexuality was a big part of their worship. This is what they would do when they would worship these gods. They'd have these huge feasts and these huge parties. And it was all sort of ritualized uh, sexual activity. But, you know, there they are. Here's the Israelites. They're breaking the Ten Commandments. You know, number one, you shall have no other gods before me. That's out. We're worshiping Baal. And, and they're, you know, they're, they're committing adultery. They're just totally breaking God's law. <clears throat> and so it says in verse 3, the Lord's anger burned against them. Now get this, verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people, kill them, and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. This is one of those passages in the Bible where God uh, decides to judge. You know, God has a tipping point, and, and you, only He knows where it is, where God finally says, okay, that's enough. I'm done with this. A lot of times God holds back. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's patient with us right now. But there comes those points in history where God says, okay, you know, we've passed the threshold, and now my judgment comes. At the end of history, when Christ returns, it'll be sort of the final cosmic tipping point when God comes in judgment again. So here's one of these terrifying judgment passages. So verse Verse 5, Moses said to Israel's judges, Each of you must put to death those of your men who've joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor. And then you get this kind of specific story of how that happened. Verse 6, Then an Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. I mean, I mean you get this? The people are weeping, they're grieving that, the, that Israel has committed this religious treason against God. And, and as the whole assembly is crying out for God's mercy, here's this Israelite guy with a 
you know, Moabite woman. Is hey, what's up? <laughs> you know, it's it's so brazen, and then he goes right into his tent. You know, to break God's laws, it's so it's gross. So, verse seven: When Phineas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aram, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. And he drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. And then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. But those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. So this guy Phineas, it's like, you know, he's one of these guys who's like, God is holy and we need to obey him. And so he picks a spear up and he comes in the tent and, and kind of quite literally catches them in the act and just pins them both to the ground with his spear, you know. And what does God say? Verse 10, The Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my anger from the Israelites, for he was, get this, as zealous for my honor as I am for my honor among them, so that in my zeal I did not put an end to them. Therefore tell him I am making a covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement the Israelites. God is holy and His Word is a matter of life and death. You know, as a church, we need to be holy. We need to be serious about obedience. If there's sin in our lives that we know of, you know, it's time to grab a spear and pin it to the ground and be done with it. And maybe that that's like here in this story, maybe it's, it's the you know, a sexual genus of sin. There's lots of different types of sin. Sexual sin is one genus of which there's many species. And, and here's one example. Maybe that's where we're at in our life and we're, we're living in sin. We're not honoring God with our bodies as a temple of the Holy Spirit. We need to pin that to the ground. Or maybe it's a bad attitude towards somebody. Bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment. Maybe it's pride and self-righteousness. I mean, you know, there's so many different genus of sin. And there's one cure for them all. They all need to be impaled and destroyed in our lives. We, we need to come against it with the power of the Lord. But not only that, you know, I was also thinking about in the New Testament, if obeying God's Word is a matter of life and death in the Old Covenant, how much more so is hearing and obeying God's Word a matter of eternal life and eternal death in the New Covenant? You know, think about the Gospel that, that, that we have. The, the Gospel is God's Word to us today. The Gospel says that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners, that Jesus Christ was impaled with a spear, that He was pinned to a tree, that the crown of thorns was piercing His his head, that that He was pierced, but not for His sins, for my transgressions, and that that He was crucified for my sins, He was buried to take the punishment of death, He was risen from the dead, and now anyone who will turn from their sin and turn to Christ, can be forgiven and saved. And so God commands everybody. Everybody is commanded by God. God has a word for everybody on planet earth. That word is, repent and believe in my Son, Jesus Christ. And if we reject that command, if we reject the mercy of God in sending His own Son, what is there left? What else can make atonement? for our sins, if, if not Christ. And so, so this is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. 
whether or not we turn to the Lord. So let us be a people who are responsive to God. Let's hear His Word in the Gospel and receive the gift of eternal life and freedom and joy that comes through Jesus. So that's one reason, going back to Deuteronomy 4, that we need to hear and obey God's Word. One is it's a matter of life and death. Number two, second reason we see, it's in verses 5 through 9, or 5 through 8, is that when we do hear and obey God's Word, God's glory, His, His greatness is shown as a light to the nations. So not only is God's Word life, it's also light. It, 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 it'll, we'll start revealing how great God is to those around us. You know, go back to verse 5. He says in Deuteronomy 4, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you're entering to take possession of it. So again, hear it, do it, and you'll be His people. But then he goes on, verse 6, Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near to us whenever we pray to Him? What other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? So as, as Israel obeyed God's law, it would transform them as a people and shape them so that, the, so that God's light would shine out to the other nations. Which is really interesting because, you know, when you think about the, the, the good news of God going to the nations, you kind of think that's more of a New Testament thing. And, and you think, well, yeah, you know, in the New Testament is when we see missions going out. But actually this idea of missions and God's light going to the nations was in the Old Testament right here too. And if Israel would hold on to God's Word and live by it, the other nations would take notice. They would say, wow. What's going on there in Israel? There's no other people like this. Look at their laws. Their God is near them. This is amazing. Probably the closest Israel got to realizing this, I would think, would be under King Solomon in the Old Testament. I think King Solomon is sort of the, the high water mark for God's Old Testament witness to be realized. You guys know the story of King Solomon? He became king after King David. And he had one of those kind of rub the lamp and the genie comes out and you get one wish sort of moments. You know, God showed up to him in a prayer and said, look, ask for one thing and I'll give it to you, whatever you want. It's crazy. And so Solomon said, you know what? Uh, I need wisdom. I need you to help me be a righteous and just leader. I need you to help me live by your word and, and govern by your word. I want to hear and do the word of God. And God said, because you chose that, instead of long life or riches or the death of your enemies, I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to give you all that other stuff as well. And so God's glory was shown through Israel. And then you know the story of Solomon. Well, at least in the first half of his reign when he was obeying God's word. is the light shown to the whole world. You even had the Queen of Sheba, you know, wherever that is, traveling way up to visit Solomon and, and just to sit at his feet and listen to his wisdom. And so when, when we hear and obey God's word, not only is it a matter of life and death for us, it's also a, a light to others so that they can hear and, and see God's word. Jesus taught the same thing. Uh, put a bookmark here in Deuteronomy. Let me show you a couple things that Jesus taught. Turn over to uh, the New Testament book of Matthew, chapter 5. It's on page 958 in the Pew Bible. Matthew, chapter 5. Verse 14. Even in the New Testament, when we hear and obey the Word of God, we become a light to others. So it's not just life and death for us, it's life and death for others. And, and we become a, 
uh, a, a signpost pointing people to the Lord. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. When we live by God's Word, it shapes our lives and the light shines out and people can see it. And and some people it points to God. You know, I, I think sometimes we're hesitant to really follow the Lord and really follow His Word because there's a part of us that doesn't want to be out of step with the world around us. We don't want to look weird. We don't want to look religious. It's like if I really start following Christ and, and, and I don't engage in all of the office or neighborhood gossip and backbiting and lying and politics and all that nonsense and I stop swearing and cursing and you know using my mouth to if I start using it to glorify God and, and if I do you know live a life of sexual purity and if I do, um, you know, seek to live a life of sobriety and service to others, you know, what's the world going to think of me if I live differently? And I think sometimes we fear people are going to laugh, they're going to reject and scorn. Yeah, some will. But others will say, wait a minute, this is different. This is different from everything else. What is this? And, and they'll be drawn to, not to you, but to the light of Christ shining through you. What if... What if the secret for the church's success in the world is not by it trying to become more like the world, more hip, more acceptable, more similar to the world? What if the secret to success is to actually become different from the world, morally speaking and spiritually speaking? What if the way we're going to impact the world is by creating a contrast and saying, look, that's one way to live, and how's that working out for you, world? We've been there, too. We've tried all those things. You know, it's not like we're somehow immune from that. We've lived that, and that doesn't work. I mean, that's destructive. It's the way of death. But there's another way that we found in Christ. Not that we're something special, but Christ has saved us. And, and by making a difference, the light and the dark become more distinct. So maybe the first step in evangelism and missions before we step out to go out, is actually to take a step in further and to say, are we a holy church? Are we a godly church? Or are we sort of turning a blind eye to unbelief and disobedience in our midst, in our own hearts? The first step then to shining outward is to obey and hear the Word of God inwardly. Or look at just one more verse. Flip over three books to the book of John, Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Chapter 13, page 1076. John chapter 13, page 1076. John chapter 13, verse 34. Here's Jesus speaking again to His disciples. John 13, 34. He says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. People will know that Christ is real. He'll, they'll know we're His disciples if we're also a community of love, if we obey that basic commandment to love each other. It's, and I think it's really important because you know one of the... Um, 
One of the dangers of getting serious about the Bible, one of the temptations, is spiritual pride. I think, you know, if you start sort of going down the Reformed road, uh, which I personally find myself on, you know, there's a danger of becoming spiritually arrogant. You know, it's like, hey, look, we follow the Bible. <laughs> we do what it says. Oh, you don't follow the Bible? Oh, you don't care about God's Word? Oh, okay, you know, whatever. You know, and you can get you can get heady and full of yourself, and you can get so full of Bible knowledge that, that you know, knowledge puffs up. And we can become arrogant in that knowledge. So I think it's so important to be like, okay, you want to take the Bible seriously? Great. Let's work on commandment number one, love. Love each other. And so even as we draw closer to God's Word, we have to remember what Christ calls us to is not just to love. Actually, it's not even that easy. Love as I have loved you. Wow. Okay. It's a lifetime project to learn to love as Christ has loved me sacrificially, graciously. You know, it's overwhelming. And so, brothers and sisters, the first step to loving the world and the nations is perhaps just to practice loving each other. If we want to be a congregation that someday even plants other churches, maybe the first step is to be a holy and loving church ourselves. That before the light can go out there, the light needs to be cranked up in here. And we need to be a people who hear His Word and do His Word, including this commandment, to love one another. And so if we're going to be the people of God, we need to hear and do what He says. We need to do it because, one, it's a matter of life and death. Number two, because uh, it's a matter of light. God's light will shine through us. And then, then the last reason for hearing and doing the Word of God you find back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 to 14. And the last reason is, and, and get this, it's because God's presence, the Lord's presence, is, is mediated through His Word. That when we really take God's Word seriously, we will experience the living presence of Jesus in our lives. That God reveals Himself through His Word. Look back at Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Moses says, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. We've got to keep handing this knowledge down. Verse 10, remember the day you stood before the Lord God at Horeb. So that was the day, you remember in your Old Testament history, when Moses got the Ten Commandments. And he went up on the mountain. God came down on the mountain and there's a huge fire and smoke and God spoke to them. So he says, at verse 10, when he said to me, assemble the people before me to what? Hear my words. That's why they were there, to hear his word. So that they would, may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. And you came near. You stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. And then what did God do? The Lord spoke to you out of the fire. He spoke. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. Isn't that interesting, the emphasis there? God spoke. You heard words. You didn't see anything. There was just a voice. It's words. It's God's words. It's God's words. And so God was present through His words. When God finally showed up and the fire fell and the smoke came, and it's like, there He is. Where is He? I don't see Him. It's just words. God spoke. He revealed Himself through His Word. And so it made Israel 
radically distinct from the cultures around them because Israel became a people of the book that God reveals himself through his word. In all of the nations around Israel, how, how did the gods reveal themselves? How did the gods sort of mediate their presence? Through statues. They made idols, they made statues, they made little gods. And so they were people who had their little statues and they had big statues and little statues and they had little tokens that they had in their house and carried in their pocket and wore on a necklace, you know. Just, it was like idols everywhere because they believed that if you had the statue, you had with you the presence of a god. But the Israelites were so different. They said, no, God has revealed Himself. He, he's among us through His Word. And when we hear His Word and do His Word, we will experience His living presence in our midst. And today, you know, people... You know, how do people think God is mediated today? I mean, all kinds of ways. I mean, some, for some it's statues and physical things and trinkets. Um, I, I think probably in our culture today, for a lot of people, it's just sort of um, th- that kind of spirituality thing. That God's presence is mediated by listening to my own heart, by listening to my inner voice, by listening to, to, to that voice within me. And if, if I just listen to that voice within, then that's how God is speaking to me. That, that's how God's presence is mediated, you know? And, and so people say, I've heard people say this, you know, well, I know the Bible says that, but I, but I think God's telling me this, you know. And I, I know that may be what's in the Bible, but, but I can't deny my heart. My, my heart is telling me this. I think God is speaking to my heart. It's like, really? You know, I, I read God's Word and it tells me that the human heart is desperately wicked. I can trick myself into anything. You know, I, I don't trust my own heart. My, my heart can flip-flop like, you know, weather in New England. Just wait, wait an hour and it's going to change. I don't trust my heart. My heart's full of all kinds of stuff I'm ashamed to talk about that the Holy Spirit is highlighting at different times. So I need His Word. It's His Word that defines us. It's His Word that guides us. And He's, he's present through His Word. And so it is in the New Testament as well that Jesus Christ dwells among us through His Word. Look at the book of John. Let's go back to John one more time. John chapter 15. And we'll close with this passage. John chapter 15. It's on page 1068. John chapter 15, verse 5. Here's Jesus speaking to His disciples. Beautiful metaphor. John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are branches. Alright, just stop right there. What a beautiful image of the Christian life. To think of Jesus as the vine and we're the branches. You know, think of a vine and a branch organically connected, the vine sort of pumping life and the, and the branches receiving life from the vine. And, and then the branches, as they draw life from the vine, they start bearing fruit and they start changing. And, you know, a beautiful image of an intimate, organically connected life with Christ. I don't know what you think of when you think of Christianity. Maybe every experience you've had of Christianity is a dry, dead, ritualistic kind of thing. What it's talking about here is a, a dynamic, life-giving connectedness to Jesus. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If, you rem- if a man remains in me... And I in Him, He'll bear much fruit. Apart from Me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in Me, He is like a branch that is thrown away and 
withers up, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So if we're disconnected from Christ, if we don't remain in Him, then we become dead. So, you know, you read that and you say, okay, how do I do that? Boy, I want to remain in Christ. I I want to stay connected to Him. I I want to experience that kind of real Christianity of a life-giving relationship with Christ. How do I experience it? How do I remain in Christ and have Him remain in me? What do I do? Verse 7, if you remain in me, And what? My words. My words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. So, we remain in Christ. He remains in us. But His remaining in us is now replaced with His words remaining in us. So when His word remains in us, His presence dwells with us. The the way we experience intimacy with Christ and, and really experience His presence is by His Word dwelling in us. And because Christ comes with His Word. Look again at verse 9. As the Father has loved Me, so I have loved you. Now remain in My love. Again, I read that and I'm like, that's what I want. I want my Christian life to be a love relationship with Christ who is in a love relationship with the Father. I I, want to enter into this, this intimacy and communion of God's love. Now remain in my love. Verse 10, how do we do that? If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. So the way we we abide in Christ is by hearing, keeping, doing His Word. And of course, what is His command? Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other. And and you've got to notice that in verse 11. That... Following Christ's commands is a life of joy. It's a joy. You know, I think sometimes we think of, again, if, if we become serious about following Christ's commands, it's going to become this miserable, sort of puritanical, uh, painful existence where, where we're unhappy and we're, we're chained and, and we're miserable. But actually it's just the opposite. When you find Christ and you obey His commands, it really gives you freedom and joy. Now, this experience, I've had a, a recent experience in my life. It's been really life-changing. My, my dog can now walk with me off her leash, and it's great. It's really great. I have my little terrier. Her name is Princess Leia, and um, I go out for walks with Princess Leia. And before she walked off leash, she was miserable because I had her on her leash. And, you know, she was, she's a terrier, so they always want to pull and go, you know. So, so I'm walking with my dog and she's constantly pulling, but she can't do anything. She can't go anywhere because she's on leash. And, and because if I take her off that leash, what's she going to do? You know, take off after squirrels in her mind or whatever and go tearing off and it's, you know, I'm calling her. But, but we've been working with her. We've been working on her coming, sitting, obeying. We've been training her to, uh, to we say, close and she'll stand close to you and we'll walk and she'll stay near us. So if, you know, there's cars coming, we'll close and she'll come. And, you know, we go on these walks now. She now hears me. She obeys me. And i got to tell you, she has so much more freedom and fun as a dog than she ever did before. She, she gets to run everywhere and she sniffs and gets to chase things and look around. And, and sometimes I'll say, come. And she won't understand why. She doesn't know why I called her. Well, she doesn't know there's a huge truck coming down the road because she's too stupid to understand that. But I'll say, come. And so she'll go, oh, okay, Master says, come. I'm coming. You know, she'll sit there. You know, I'll give her a treat. And, but, but, you know, that's the freedom of obedience. That, that's the joy of living in harmony with God. 
Because God sees all kinds of things we don't see because we're way too stupid to see them. And He loves us and He wants to care for us because living with Christ is a life-giving relationship. But to experience the life-giving, freeing presence of Christ means for His words to dwell in us and for us to obey His commands. Boy, I love coming to church these days. Isn't it so cool to see what's going up behind us? I, they started to put the steel up. I, I'll be really honest with you. I have been less productive recently with the steel going up. You know, just out there watching it like a kid. It's so fun. You know, you come to church, the steel's going up. Or this week we came in, now it's paved. You know, we don't have that dirt road going back there. Now we have paved. It's like, oh, what's next? What's next? And, you know, I, I imagine people driving down Main Street just, you know, wow, what is that church doing? You know, the steel's going up and the things are changing every week. I mean, it's so exciting to see the, the, the building growing and the church growing like that. And I just wonder, when the Lord looks down on us week after week, what He sees. Does He see us growing? But not in terms of the steel going up. Does He look at us and say, there's a people that are falling more in love with me and expressing it by hearing and doing what I say? Are we becoming a people who hear the Word of God and live it more and more. May we do it because it is in God's Word that we have life, we have light, and the Lord Himself dwells among us with His presence. Let's pray. Lord, Your Word is so good because...